Good morning, everybody. Our scripture passage this morning is from John 8. Uh, We're going to read verses 31 to 40. And if you're um, looking for that in your pew Bibles, that's on page uh, 1138. 138. I know your bulletins have a little bit more ambitious length of of passages uh, to read this morning, but we're going to concentrate this morning on verses 31 through 40. Okay, John 8, 31 to 40. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. This is the word of God. Thank you, Mike. Earlier in the service, I told you that the theme for this morning was that freedom is part of the message of the gospel. Jesus even says in this text in verse 32, the truth will set you free. In verse 36, he says it again, but just a little different. He says, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, I wonder sometimes if we receive that message in modern world that that the, the the gospel is about freedom. It's obviously more than that, but it is also about freedom. You know, th- there was a time where we have this wealth of uh, of spirituals that came out of a former bondage of chattel slavery in our own country where they sang about freedom. They... They uh, sang sang songs like Swing Low and Sweet Chariot, Coming For to Carry Me Home, A Band of Angels Coming After Me, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand. They they, uh, would take Old Testament stories and then begin to, to, to say they applied to their situation like, The Lord delivered Daniel, He will deliver me. And I, and I think the, the, the message of freedom found very fertile soil. And thank God we don't have chattel slavery in the United States anymore. But I think one of the things that has gone from our culture is this idea of being free. Because we are the land of the free. We almost more identify with the Jews when Jesus said... The sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. We answer, but we've never been slaves. 
of anyone. You see that in verse 33. And so you ask the question, what are we being freed from? The Bible in different parts will say we're, we're freed from the law. We're free from death. We're free from injustice. We're free from debt. We're free from tyranny. We're free from sin. But in order to understand what is being offered us this morning, we have to see the problem of slavery. The paradox of knowledge and the path to freedom. I don't think it'll take us very long to walk through these few verses to see what Jesus is offering us this morning. Again, in verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He repeats it again in verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be freed indeed. What is Jesus saying? He's implying that they're slaves. And they get it. They get he's implying it. Because in verse 33, immediately after he says, if you're my disciples, you're free. They say, we have never been slaves of anyone. Have they forgot? 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians? The book of Exodus is about what? Freedom from being slaves to the Egyptians. And even if they have forgot that, which they can't because they've got festivals every year where people together and talk about that period of time of being in bondage and being freed. So why do they say we're not slaves to anyone? Their current context is Romans. And they would rather die. They would rather commit suicide than be slaves. And the Romans knew that. Romans typically made slaves of everyone they conquered. But they did not do that of the Jews because many of the Jews rather commit suicide than be slaves. That's what they're saying. So the problem is that we don't see ourselves as slaves because we have a narrow understanding of sin. Because we define sin narrowly. That is, it's what we do. It is merely our behavior. We speak of it as mere actions only. That narrow definition misses why we are slaves. Jesus is not discounting that sin is behavior. But it's far more that the Bible speaks of sin in three kind of big blocks in regards to the gospel freeing us from sin, the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin. And that's the way we tend to talk about it. For the wages of sin is death. That is, the the punishment, the consequences since the fall has been a penalty of sin. That's the way we tend to talk about and it's true and that is what Jesus did for us on the cross it's one of the reasons many many people reject Christianity they reject Christianity because it says that an innocent person dies for the guilty and a lot of people think that's unfair that's not right if if we knew 
of someone who was willing to go to prison for a lifetime or to be executed, even though they had not committed a crime, and so that the person who committed the crime could go free, we would think that's unfair. We would not think that's right. And because of that, when we see that the gospel teaches, that's exactly what God did through the life of his own son, that he emptied the penalty for our sin on Jesus. Many people see that as unfair, but that's the essence of the gospel. But it's only one third of what we've been freed from. The Bible also says that we're not only freed from the penalty of sin, we're also freed, we are being freed from the power of sin. These are all P's if you want to keep up. I didn't do it. Paul did it. So, if part of what what Jesus did on the cross was to remove the penalty of sin because all the penalty was emptied on him, the another part of the gospel is that within us, There's a power at work. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 6 and 7, particularly in chapter 7, when he says, I do that which I do not want to do. That is, there's a power at work. Jesus' description of that power is often in terms of darkness or evil. And so Jesus is teaching that we don't just do sin, sin does us. It's what... God, when he in in Genesis 4 is speaking to Cain about the, the, the potential of him murdering Abel, which we know he eventually did, he says, sin is crouching at your door. That's another way of saying that the power of sin is at work in you, Cain. And if you're not free from that, You're going to do something bad. You're going to do something unlawful. You're going to do something terrible. And he does because he doesn't heed that warning. And so one of the ways that we are enslaved is by the power of sin. That's what's behind our addiction to pornography. It's not a a mystery. That's what's behind alcoholism and, and drug addiction and and greed and anger and good things that we make ultimate things. See, we, we tend to think it's only bad things that evoke a power in us. Uh, things that we are addicted to, but we're also addicted to good things. We want more of them and we want to make them ultimate things. And the Bible calls that idolatry. And that is... Idols aren't simply things that we carve and hand make. That's simplistic and in the way in which the ancient world talked about idols. In the modern world, we take good things, many times good things, and we make them our ultimate things. And we serve these ultimate things at the expense of the ultimate thing, God himself. And that's a power that is at work in us. All of us. There's no one here. There's no one in our city. There's no one in our nation. There's no one in the world that the power of sin is not at work in. That's part of living as a human being since the fall. And when we recognize that, one of the things that Jesus says is that if you believe in me, 
I'll set you free from the power of sin. And that's an ongoing, the way that Paul talks about it in Romans is that it's an ongoing present struggle, but it's an ongoing present freeing. We're constantly going back to the gospel to claim our freedom from the power of sin over the things that grip our hearts and and touch our longings and affect our deepest desires and passions. But you know, that's only two-thirds of what the gospel says. It's not just the penalty of sin. It's not just the power of sin. Here's something that you and I have no idea what he's talking about. The presence of sin. It's the promise that when he makes all things new, one of the things that is not going to be there is the presence of sin. And because you and I don't know what that's like, because we have never lived on this planet, you and I, there were two people who lived on the planet without the presence of sin. Long ago. But everybody since then has lived with the presence of sin. And the promise is that there will be a day where there will be no more sin. And that's freedom too. Because there will be no temptation, no falling, no ongoing struggle. No more failure. No more brokenness. No more relationships that are on the rocks. No more marriages breaking down. Children struggling in life. All of that will be removed because there will be no presence of sin. But it's not that we just don't understand that we're not slaves, but we don't understand what freedom is. We have defined freedom in the church as a freedom to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's not freedom, that's bondage. Bondage to your desires, bondage to your will. That's what Martin Luther will call it. Freedom is doing what you were made to do. Doing what you were designed for. That's real freedom. When we act out of accord of our design, we call that brokenness. Not Healness. So the first thing is there's a problem. And the problem is we don't see that we're slaves because we've reduced sin to mere behaviors that we can stop and start. And we don't recognize that it's at work in us and it's always with us until the end. But also there's a paradox, isn't there? paradox about knowledge in verse 33 they don't just simply say that we are not we are we are not slaves they also say we're offspring of abraham what they mean by that is there's a there's a physical relationship between these jews and abraham they call him father abraham not just spiritually they mean spiritually but they also mean physically and that is being related to him we're not like other nations we're not like other people Physically, we are special. And that's, that's why there are two classes of human beings, according to Jews of the ancient world. There's Jews and Gentiles. And please understand that's a pejorative. They mean that as unclean, as outside. 
as bad people. That's what they mean when they call somebody a Gentile. They don't, they don't mean that they're, they're good people. That's one of the things they mean by physically being related. They're good, almost like a Javert. I, we're, I'm good, you're bad. And good can't be bad and bad cannot be good. But not just physically, spiritually. They, they literally believe we don't need freedom because we are already spiritually free because we are God's chosen people. What's Jesus' answer to that idea of just being related physically or spiritually to Abraham makes them free? Jesus says in verse 39, If you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. What are the works of Abraham? What did Abraham do that made Abraham have works? We know that from two places. And they say the very same thing. In Hebrews 11, when it talks about Abraham, it says, Abraham was credited righteousness by faith. Romans is a little clearer, Romans 4, because it says that Abraham was justified by faith. And what that means is, if you want to know what the works of Abraham, is faith. I'm not saying that faith is a work, but the way it's being described here is that there's nothing that Abraham did that made him righteous. There was nothing Abraham did that made him right with God, that he just received the righteousness of God by faith. And that's the works of Abraham. And Jesus will put it this way, and it's not one of the verses that that Mike read to us. If This is verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, if you believe in me, if you had faith in me, then you would be free. And you would love me. But because you are not true children of God, that's why you're not free. You're slaves. And so Jesus, in verse 43, another verse that Mike didn't read to us, he asked the question, why do you not understand what I say? Why do the Jews that are present don't understand? And Jesus answers it, his own question. I like that about him. Reminds me of someone. (laughs) Why, Why can they not hear? You cannot bear to hear My word. Can I use a little common grace here? Common grace for those who aren't around the church. It means that God doesn't just give special grace. Things in the Bible. But he gives his truth to everybody in the world. Not all the truth, but enough truth. To know who he is and that they're sinners. We know that from Romans 1. You can spend some time there. We don't have time for that part. But I just want to share a little common grace that people have observed about us. Humans. Have you ever heard of the ladder of inference? You know what that is? Let me share you what simply what the, in simple layman's term, a ladder of inference is. That is, there's a lot of knowledge in the world that's available to us about how things work, who people are, what, but we can't take in or we don't take in all that knowledge, do we? We take in selected parts of knowledge. We take it in because we've got certain knowledge, because we've got assumptions about how things are to be. 
assumptions about who we are, assumptions about how things work. And those assumptions form our beliefs. And those beliefs determine our actions. And those assumptions and beliefs can go back and control the information. Jesus is saying, or this common grace is helping us understand, that when the Jews heard Jesus say, if you believe in me, then I will set you free indeed. They don't believe they're slaves. So they cannot hear his message of freedom. Their assumption, their belief structure, is simply that we're free already. And so don't bring us a story, don't bring us a narrative, don't bring us some good news that you're going to make us free because we are already free. Don't you see how that assumption and beliefs prevent them? And here's the paradox of knowledge. The paradox of knowledge is this. We know things only because of what our assumptions and our beliefs allow us to understand. Unless we allow information to challenge our assumptions and our beliefs. That's the paradox. That is, we can't hear that Jesus frees us not just from the penalty of sin. It's almost like some people talk about salvation as a life insurance policy, a way to get into heaven. But don't recognize there's an ongoing struggle of the power of sin in us. We can't hear that because we don't believe we're enslaved. And because we assume we're already free, because we are freed from the penalty of sin, we're always waylaid by the power of sin. And we don't hope for the presence of sin to be removed. All because of that paradox, which brings me to the path. The truth will set you free, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What truth will set you free? Jesus tells you. He says it here when he says the son will set you free and then you'll be free indeed. But he says it clearly in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What he's saying is, is that if you're a follower of me, I will reveal the truth to you. But it's not just information. It's me. A personal relationship with God. Jesus is saying freedom from the penalty of sin, the freedom from the power of sin, and ultimately the free from the presence of sin will because you have an abiding relationship with me because I'm truth. I am the truth. To the degree that, that, that we are seeking Jesus as he's revealed to us in the word will be to the degree that we can appreciate the freedom and taste it and run to him when the power of sin tends to take over our lives. Even when we don't know why we do what we do.
here's some more good news. Verses 35 and 36. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the gospel is not that slaves become freed slaves, former slaves, but slaves become sons. And ladies, please understand that's a first century context. He is not being pejorative here. He's actually lifting you up because in the ancient world, women had no rights. He is saying something very beautiful about you. He's saying that you, as believers before God, are like his sons. There's no religion and no ancient culture that would ever say that about women. Christianity revolutionized the world's view of women. Does it mean we haven't made mistakes, we haven't erred, we haven't sinned in that area over time? But Jesus didn't. His point is you cannot enjoy freedom of being a son while living in bondage as a slave, even if it's to the power. And once we begin to get freedom from the power of sin, we can join Martin Luther King and we can say, free at last, free at last. God Almighty, free at last. Because we're truly free of the sin that works in us. And this is a message we bring to our city. But it has many different contexts. We do it because we're missionaries. We used to put on our bulletin years ago, and some of you can remember it, everybody's a minister and, and that meant everybody's involved in the ministry of the church, even if that meant out there. I'd like to change that because our culture is so radically changed from 1964. We, we are missionaries. And what do missionaries do? Missionaries are out there trying to understand the people they live with in order that they can hear the message of the gospel of freedom. But that takes us understanding them. Obviously, that means read some books. There's some great ones. The elders are reading a book called Loving the City by Tim Keller. And if you want to get that book, you can go online and get it. It's a great book about how to go into your city and understand the people. And one of the prescriptions he gives is go ahead and study. There are plenty of people who have written great things about the culture. But the best way, the best way. It's simply to sit down with someone who doesn't know Jesus and just ask them, what do you see as the struggles of our city? What do you struggle with? Don't start with that question. But everybody's got an opinion of the struggles of our city. And poverty and and injustice. We're wealthy in some pockets and, and that tends to lead us to think that when Jesus offers his burdens as light... Our burdens are already light. Comparison to the world, nobody in this room is starving. There are millions of people in this world who are literally starving. Thousands will die. We've got first world problems, not third world problems. But we've still got problems. And missionaries spend the time asking questions, challenging their own assumptions and understandings. And when you do that, I challenge you. It's the reason 
It's the reason I went into this psychology class because I wanted, I wanted so much to hear what young people think. And they do. They, they share so freely about what they think. But we can't do it alone. We need you to go out and have conversations where you work and, and in the city and just ask people, what's, what's going on in our city? What are the needs of our city? What are the problems of our city? And then I, I want to have lunch with you. I want to sit down and I want to hear you. I don't want you to interpret for me. I just want you to tell me what they said. We can figure the interpretation out later. But that is being a missionary in our own city. That's, that's what the Jews should have done. And instead, they created a holy huddle and didn't even recognize Jesus when he showed up. This will change us radically as a, as a people. We'll be so concerned about our own ministries to ourselves, but what's going on out there. Jesus says there are many who are not yet of my pen, not yet in my flock. Go and make disciples of all peoples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. How beautiful is your message of freedom to slaves. And Father, if we know anything now, we know we were enslaved, most of us, to the penalty of sin. Some of us are still All of us are enslaved to the power of sin. But you offer us the gospel that frees us from that power in the present, right here, right now. And I pray in this room where men and women and children struggle with a worry and anxiety and anger and greed and pornography and Addictions to alcohol and to drugs and, and many, many good things. We need freedom. We need to do what we've been designed to do and to be. And we need Jesus. We need Him every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. And Father, allow that freedom to work its way into our hearts so that we see our city and love the people in it and seek them out to understand their assumptions, their beliefs, their struggles, their enslavements and bondages so that we might be more effective with the gospel message of freedom that they might be free indeed too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.